The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by AnchorLight. Artist studios, exhibition space, and more. Please visit AnchorLightRaleigh.com. Let's take a little trip back in time. The day we are going to is March 14th, 2010. A dark-haired woman, dressed in a bright red gown, sits quietly and patiently at a wooden table across from an empty chair in the center of the Museum of Modern Art's interior courtyard. This woman is Marina Abramovich, and she's beginning her retrospective exhibition and her latest extended performance piece, titled The Artist is Present. Abramovich is prepared to sit for eight hours, six days a week, for the next two and a half months, during which she will gaze into the eyes of museum visitors who patiently wait in line to have their turn to silently engage with this world-famous artist. They won't speak to her, and they won't touch her. Abramovich, her head bent down to rest between visitors, then looks slowly up at the new stranger seated in front of her, engaging with them in a singular, completely silent relationship. But on this day, May 14th, something amazing happens. Abramovich lifts her head to acknowledge her newest visitor, only to find that it isn't a stranger at all. Sitting across from her is her past romantic and creative partner, Ulai, whom she hasn't seen since their relationship ended 22 years prior. Imagine this. It's like time stops in this moment, as the artists come to term with the enormity of what they are experiencing, remembering so vividly the love they once shared and the career-defining work they did together. Abramovich, who had maintained a neutral face while staring at the visage of her typical visitor, then breaks, and she gives him a timid smile. Ulai smiles nervously back, breathing out the tension of seeing an old lover. Abramovich's eyes fill with tears as she takes in the moment and the sight of the person in front of her and then does what no one is expecting. Marina Abramovich breaks the rules of her own performance and reaches her hands across the table to take Ulai's, holding him and holding their memories. The audience bursts into applause, recognizing the weight of witnessing a true love story, one of the greatest in modern history. Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, photographs, and performances are weirder, more outrageous, or more fun than you can imagine. Art Curious Season 13 has been all about modern love. And today, for our season finale, we are talking about the epic 12-year relationship and art of Marina Abramovich and Ulai. This is the Art Curious Podcast, exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm Jennifer Dassel. From the very beginning of my preparations for this season of Art Curious, I knew I wanted to talk about Abramovich and Ulai, because I've always found their story so intriguing, so sad, and so beautiful. 
And with this almost cinematic happy ending with their reconnection at MoMA in 2010, it is nearly unbeatable a narrative. But to truly appreciate that singular moment, we've got to go back all the way to the beginning. Marina Abramovich and Ulai's love story started in Amsterdam in 1975. Before Abramovich was known as the godmother of performance art, she was an up-and-coming artist in the early 70s visiting Amsterdam for a television performance of her piece called Lips of Thomas. Let's back up just a tiny bit more, though, in case the phrase performance art trips you up a bit. Because I get it. Performance art is not a painting, it's not a sculpture, and though performance might be routinely photographed or video recorded, this is not what would have been called art a century prior. In brief, performance art is a piece in which art, like a play, like drama, like theater, typically involves the artist's body as its focal point, so that the actions that they or the other participants make really creates the work of art. I know that's not a great explanation, but let's just go with it here. The 60s and 70s were huge in terms of the popularity and critical acceptance of performance art, but its beginnings reached back into the performances of Dada and the early surrealist artists from the 19-teens and the 1920s. So just think back a few episodes to when we were talking about Hans or Jean Arp and Sophie Tauber Arp. While it has had a really long history, we can still firmly say that Marina Abramovich truly took performance art to the next level. So now, let's go back to 1975 Amsterdam and the Lips of Thomas. Lips of Thomas, like much of Abramovich's work, involved her body as the subject and medium to explore her physical and mental limits. In this particular case, Abramovich cut a five-pointed communist star onto her stomach with a razor blade, and over the course of her performance, her blood flowed, smeared, and covered her naked body. As curator and art historian Nancy Spector has written about these works, there is a personal element referenced here. Abramovich was born in Belgrade, Serbia in 1946, and works like Lips of Thomas were, quote, born out of the contradictions of her childhood. Both parents were high-ranking officials in the socialist government, while her grandmother, with whom she lived, was devoutly Serbian Orthodox. Religion and socialist politics were at odds, and as communist rule exploded over the world in the wake of World War II, it affected not only the emotional and mental lives of millions, but it left marks upon the body, too, in Abramovich's estimation. Lips of Thomas was her way of acknowledging this. While Abramovich was in Amsterdam for this soon-to-be iconic performance, she met another young and aspiring artist, German-born artist Frank Uwe Lysipen, better known as Ulai. Ulai was born in 1943, so he was a few years older than Abramovich, and both artists were immediately drawn to one another, often saying that theirs was love at first sight. Ulai would later note that he found Abramovich alluring and, in his words, felt that she was witchy and fatal. For her part, Abramovich was instantly fascinated by Ulai's appearance, who was exploring his constructed identity at the time by presenting as both half-man and half-woman through his hair, his makeup, 
and also the lack thereof. A performance of his very own that he captured in his fame photo series from this period, titled She, that's S apostrophe H-E. Throughout this series, Ulai investigated the role of gender identities in society during the 70s, as well as a variety of gender performances. Both artists were expressive, transgressive, avant-garde, and driven to do something new, something meaningful. Theirs was an excellent immediate connection, and one that grew into a passionate love affair with one simple act. According to Abramovich, Ulai gently tended to her wounds after her Lips of Thomas performance. And that, that single act, was the beginning of a romance that would last 12 years. There was just one little hitch. Abramovich was already hitched. At the time of their fated meeting in Amsterdam, Abramovich was married to a fellow student with whom she had studied at the Belgrade Academy of Fine Arts. But for Abramovich and Ulai, their meeting did indeed feel like a fated one. Like too many things lined up in the stars for their union to be mere coincidence. The day they met was their birthday. Yep, their birthdays, as they shared November 30th as their joint day. Though Ulai was born, as I mentioned, prior to Abramovich. And when Ulai mentioned his birthday, Abramovich declared that she needed proof that this wasn't just a line to keep her interested. So Ulai showed her his pocket agenda in which he purposely tore out the page of his birthday, which was a personal tradition of his, and one that Abramovich herself would soon adopt in her own planners and diaries. Abramovich loved this synchronicity and took it as a karmic sign of their romantic destiny. According to her later reminiscences, she decided then and there to form a partnership with Ulai. Returning to his house and staying there, in bed, she said, for 10 days straight. After that, her Amsterdam stint complete, Abramovich returned home to Belgrade, but she was irrevocably changed. She was so lovesick that she said that she felt like she could no longer talk, could no longer even move. When she finally picked herself back up, she ran away from home, in her words again, leaving Serbia and divorcing her husband a few months later so that she could fully reunite with Ulai, whom she called her twin flame, according to journalist Judith Thurman. That reunion is coming up next, right after this quick ad break. Remember that you can join us over on Patreon for a few bucks a month and get our show ad-free. Patreon.com slash ArtCurious. Welcome back to Art Curious. Marina Abramovich and Ulai immediately entwined their lives, not only romantically, but professionally as well. The artists began collaborating, combining her chosen medium, performance, with his interest in gender and relationships. The two embarked on a series of challenging performances called Relations Works, using physical extremes to explore the boundaries between the self and the other. Their first performance, a landmark work titled Relationship in Space, was a highlight of the 1976 Venice Biennale, one of the most famous international contemporary art expositions in the world. For Relationship in Space, Ulai and Abramovich stood naked. Of course they were naked. 
and they stood apart from each other and then explored their boundaries by running at each other and then smacking their bodies frontally together. They performed this action for one hour, increasing in speed and intensity with each sprint towards each other. The whole idea, according to Abramovich, was the combination of male and female energy, showcasing their unity, their romantic unity, their professional unity, basically their collaboration on all fronts. And this would be their M.O. for the next five years, a period in which they lived rather minimally and nomadically. To save money as they drove between museums and Europe to perform, they lived in a small black Citroën French police car. This car actually inspired their 1977 Paris Biennale piece called Relation in Movement. For that work, Ulai drove their car in circles while Abramovich used a megaphone to count the number of laps completed. The sentiment was that either the car would collapse or that they would, as an experiment to test the limits of both machines and the human body. After 16 hours of nonstop spinning and megaphone yelling, which is a nightmare if you ask me as someone who gets carsick after only a few minutes on a windy road, the car's motor burnt out. So chalk that one up to the durability of the human body, I suppose. People one, machine zip. As time progressed, Abramovich and Ulai became more daring in their performances. Take, for example, their piece, Breathing In, Breathing Out, which the couple performed twice, once in Belgrade in 1977 and once the following year in Amsterdam. In Breathing In, Breathing Out, Abramovich and Ulai knelt across from each other and pressed their mouths firmly together while blocking their nostrils with filters. This forced the pair to rely on each other for air, and thus for survival. Their performance, as always, relied on their cooperation, but it also highlighted their individual physical boundaries, because in reality, this couldn't last forever. They couldn't rely on each other indefinitely. And after about 19 minutes, they released themselves from each other's mouths, and Ulai and Abramovich fell back, both gasping for air. The pair continued to up the ante when it came to the demands they put on themselves for their performances, especially as they strove closer and closer to dangerous situations. If breathing in, breathing out was a struggle for trust and cooperation, then rest energy from 1978 was that times 100. Together, the couple held a bow loaded with a sharp arrow positioned directly at Abramovich's heart. Leaning back, and with each holding one side, Abramovich the bow and Ulai the end of the arrow, the weight of their bodies put tension on the weapon. With one wrong move, they could trigger the arrow and Abramovich could die. To amplify this already high-stress situation, small microphones were attached to their bodies to record and magnify their heartbeats for all to hear. In contrast to breathing in, breathing out, rest energy was a far shorter performance lasting only four minutes and 10 seconds. But with an arrow pointed at Abramovich's chest, it probably felt like forever, both for the audience as much as for the performers. And it didn't always go well. In the 1980s, the artists began a work titled Night Sea Crossing, which they performed 22 times in 19 different locations all over the world. And it was yet another endurance feat, 
Night Sea Crossing acts almost like a precursor in some ways to Abramovich's 2010 performance at MoMA. The artist is present in that it involved two people sitting and facing one another. But this time, there were no pauses, there were no breaks, and the audience wouldn't participate in the way that they would in Abramovich's later work. Here, as always, it was just Marina and Ulai. For Night Sea Crossing, the couple sat silently and motionless, facing each other across the table in whichever museum or institution happened to host this particular iteration. They'd be seated just before the museum's opening, and they would stay seated, no eating, abstaining from movement and consuming anything except water until after the museum closed, so that visitors never saw the beginning or the ending of the performance. Sometimes the performance would last a day, but in some cases they would continue for over two weeks, with 16 days being the artist's maximum. Their goal was to perform the work a total of 90, nine, zero separate times. For Ulai, Night Sea Crossing was a turning point, and not a great one. By their 22nd performance, he had lost 24 pounds from fasting, and had become so thin that he found even the act of sitting to be excruciating, as his bones pressed uncomfortably against his little padded skin. Toward the end of this marathon performance, Ulai was in so much pain that he could no longer bear it, so he broke the performance. He told Abramovich so. Okay, it's done, we did it, and I can't do it anymore, he essentially told her. But to his shock, Abramovich did not stand up, insisting that there was no need for her to finish their work if she hadn't reached her stopping point. So she carried on. Ulai, for his part, ended up hospitalized for a brief period of time. This was a stunning break between the two artists and one that, some say, may have pushed them to break finally and officially. We will finish our story right after another quick break. Come right back. Welcome back to Art Curious. A year after their series of night sea crossing performances, Marina Abramovich and Ulai broke up. It was 1988, and they had been a romantic couple and professional partners for 12 years. But this wasn't your everyday heart-wrenching uncoupling. This is, after all, Abramovich and Ulai that we're talking about, so naturally they marked the end of their relationship through a performance titled The Lovers. What's fascinating, so sad, and ironic is that the pair had originally proposed the performance of The Lovers nearly a decade prior as a testament to their love and an incredible showcase of their commitment to their art as well. The Lovers involved the pair trekking the length of the Great Wall of China, thousands of miles, beginning at opposite ends and walking toward each other to meet in the middle. The original iteration would have had a glorious romantic ending. Abramovich and Ulai, once they met each other at the center point of their journey, would then be married. But the hoops that the artists needed to go through to enact this performance, as you might imagine, were many. We are talking about China. 
typically not known as the easiest country to obtain permissions and authorizations for much of anything. On top of that, UNESCO, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, had at that point just bestowed world heritage status upon the wall only a year prior, which meant even more red tape. So Ulai and Abramovich tried for years to get their artwork off the ground, only to be denied permission again and again. By the late 1980s, they finally received the green light to perform The Lovers. But by that point, their relationship had deteriorated. The couple had grown apart, with their aims for their careers diverging, and even their beliefs about art, what it should be, what an artist's duties to it should be, really no longer matched. They no longer matched. So for the lovers, a wedding was no longer on the table. Instead, it became a performative divorce. This grandest and most epic of breakups began on March 30th, 1988, with Abramovich at the eastern end of the wall at the so-called Dragon's Head at the Bohai Sea, walking westward. Ulai began in the west, not far from the Gobi Desert, walking eastward slowly and methodically toward his soon-to-be former lover. To be fair, neither artist walked alone. They each had a translator with them, as well as soldiers accompanying them on their journey for both safety and political reasons. Every day, Abramovich and Ulai trekked, on average, 12 and a half miles. And it wasn't easy. Several sections of the wall are little more than rubble, which some have taken as symbolism of the disrepair that the couple's relationship had undergone. Once strong, they had decayed, and they had fallen apart. After 90 days of walking, no rest days in between, by the way, they did meet in the middle, in the center of a stone bridge in the province of Shanxi. As you might imagine, this portion of the performance was incredibly emotional. Ulai and Abramovich embraced and Abramovich in particular shared her mixed feelings about their breakup. Recalling later, quote, We didn't want to give up. We wanted to walk the wall, but we knew we had to separate. And that was how our life would be. They spent some time chatting together, which ultimately probably didn't turn out exactly as Abramovich had expected, because Ulai dropped a teeny little bombshell on her. His translator, the one who had accompanied him for the last three months of his journey across the Great Wall, was pregnant with his child. He would marry the translator later that year in Beijing. Woof. Finally, Abramovich and Ulai embraced one last time. As Marina recalled later in her memoir, Walking Through Walls, quote, I wept as he embraced me. It was the embrace of a comrade, not a lover. The warmth had drained out of him. My heart was broken. But my tears weren't just about the end of our relationship. We had accomplished a monumental work separately. My own part in it felt epic, a long ordeal that was at last over. The ordeal of the walk, of the performance, and also the performance of being Ulai and Marina, the iconic art couple. It was over. Both of them turned away from each other there on the wall, and they wouldn't see each other again 
until 22 years later, when Ulai made the surprise appearance at The Artist is Present, reassuming his seat across from Abramovich, wherein this time she stopped the performance and she held on to him. I'm not crying, you guys. You're crying, okay? And possibly I'm crying even more because of what happened next. Because, yep, there's more. I wish I could say that their beautiful reconnection at MoMA was the end of the story, but unfortunately, it's not. Their relationship, a rocky one, continued to be rocky. Five years after the artist is present, Ulai took Abramovich to court, suing her for violating a 1999 contract that had been created around their joint performances. Ulai claimed that he had not been properly attributed or compensated for their collaborative works, arguing, quote, The whole oeuvre, meaning their performances, has made history. It's now in school books. But she, Marina, had deliberately misinterpreted things or left my name out. For his part, Ulai had spent the previous two decades nearly out of the spotlight, leaving the public side of the art world nearly entirely, a decision made concurrently with Abramovich's continual rise, independent from him, as an artistic powerhouse. Still, Ulai had a point. At the beginning of their collaboration, the artists agreed to always note that theirs were joint endeavors, not solo performances. Ulai eventually won the suit, and a Dutch court ordered Abramovich to pay him 250,000 euros in royalties. The good news, though, is that there was yet another reconciliation, an even more prominent one, in 2017, two years after the lawsuit. Together, they chose to create a documentary detailing their world-famous performances, and, just as importantly, their love story. The documentary, called Marina Abramovich and Ulai, no Predicted End is a wonderful watch, and you can catch it for free on YouTube, which I heartily recommend and have listed in today's associated blog post. On March 2nd, 2020, Ulai passed away at the age of 76 from lymphatic cancer. In her statement responding to his death, Abramovich said, quote, it is with great sadness I learned about my friend and former partner Ulai's death today. He was an exceptional artist and human being who will be deeply missed. On this day, it is comforting to know that his art and his legacy will live on forever. A huge part of his legacy is that love that Ulai shared with Abramovich, a love that changed contemporary art and continues to move us today. It's a beautiful reminder that it is not always what we do in life that matters, but more importantly, who we love. Thank you for listening to the Art Curious Podcast. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel, with excellent writing and research help by Anna Keenberger. 
The Art Curious theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com. And our podcast is co-produced by Kabunki. Podcasts, creative video, and more. Subscribe to their show, Subgenre, a podcast about the movies, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and at subgenrepodcast.com. Kabunki, leave your mark. The Art Curious podcast is sponsored primarily by Anchorlight. Anchorlight is a creative space founded with the intent of fostering artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to artist studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition space, Anchorlight encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. Please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. The Art Curious podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator, which means you can donate tax-free to Art Curious to show your support. And you can join us also tax-free on Patreon for the price of a cup of coffee. And you get ad-free content. Yay! I so hope that you enjoyed this current season of Art Curious. This is our last episode for a little while, but I will see you again very soon. Until next time, stay curious.